Welcome to the Carrie Newhoff Leadership Podcast, a podcast all about leadership, change, and personal growth. The goal? To help you lead like never before in your church or in your business. And now, your host, Carrie Newhoff. Well, hey, everybody, and welcome to episode 430 of the podcast. My name is Carrie Newhoff, and I hope our time together today helps you lead like never before. I have been looking forward to this episode for a while. I have Amy Edmondson on the podcast today. And we talk about a concept that if you study management and leadership at all, you've probably heard of, um, psychological safety. Um, Adam Grant talks about it a lot. And the originator of that theory or the popularizer of it is Amy Edmondson. And we talk all about that today. So if you want to build trust on your teams, if you want to have employees who enjoy working for you for a long time, well, listen up. And uh, if you're in a company and you're wondering what's wrong with the culture, well, I think you're going to enjoy it. This episode is brought to you by Lead a Better Team. It's my new course that will help you build trust, efficiency, and productivity into your team without having to micromanage people. You can get it at leadabetterteam.com. And we do talk about culture there. And by Belay, you can get a free download of their resource, 13 Ways to Build a High-Performing Remote Team by texting CAREY, C-A-R-E-Y, to 55123. So Amy Edmondson is the Novartis Professor of Leadership and Management at Harvard Business School, a chair established to support the study of human interactions that lead to the creation of successful enterprises and make society better. She's been recognized by the biannual Thinkers 50 Global Ranking of Management Thinkers since 2011 and was recently ranked number three in 2019. She has received the organization's Breakthrough Idea Award in 2019, their Talent Award in 2017. In addition to many academic accomplishments, her most recent book, The Fearless Organization, Creating Psychological Safety in the Workplace for Learning, Innovation, and Growth, uh, has been translated into 11 different languages. And before her academic career, she was director of research at the Pecos River Learning Center, where she worked on transformational change in large companies. And prior to that, she was the chief engineer, architect, inventor at Buckminster Fuller. And her book, A Fuller Explanation, um, clarifies Fuller's mathematical contributions for a non-technical audience. Wow quite a bio, isn't it? And we have a great conversation too. The other thing where we started in this was she, I heard a TED talk of hers, I think, where she talked about how to build a high performance team when you're pulling people together ad hoc. For example, think about a movie, right? Those people haven't made movies together for decades or years. And often you bring different actors, directors, uh, crew together, and you create an Academy award-winning film. Like, how do you do that? So we go there and all over the place. And teams are pretty close to my heart because you know what I hear about? Like, have you read my inbox uh, as we hear from uh, thousands of you every single year? You know what you tell us? It's like, I don't like my job and I don't like my job because of the team. Or we hear from frustrated managers who are like, I do not know how to get more out of my team. I feel like firing everybody or I just can't get them to perform at the level I want them to perform in. So before we jump into today's content, uh, let's talk about that. When you have a team that isn't performing at the top level, they not only cost your organization time and money, they take away from the time you should be spending with your top performers. Now, if you want to reduce the impact on your organization, uh, I can help. I've got an on-demand course called Lead a Better Team Online On Demand, and it gives you proven strategies and behaviors that build trust, efficiency, and productivity into your team, and you don't have to micromanage them anymore. In fact, they will, at the end of Lead a Better Team, own responsibility for better results. 
How do you get there? Well, if you want to get there, it's time to act now because you're moving into a brand new season, right? The fall is coming. You know it's a new world. Get your team ready. Enroll in my course, Lead a Better Team, by going to leadabetterteam.com. Every single product I offer comes with a 30-day full money-back guarantee. So check it out. Do the course. If it doesn't help, uh, just let us know. We'll give you your money back. That's leadabetterteam.com. And speaking of productivity, today's work environment, as you know, is uh, different than it was a year ago. And for many, it shows no sign of returning to how things have always been done. So how do you gauge productivity in the midst of this? Productivity can actually soar for a hybrid workforce. The key is for you as a leader to learn how to equip your team to maximize their productivity to maximize results. Our friends at Belay understand this completely. They're the incredible organization that is revolutionizing productivity with their virtual assistants, bookkeeping, and social media strategist services for growing organization. They have a free resource for you. It's called 13 Ways to Build a High-Performing Remote Team. And it's free for all of our podcast listeners. You can get this download today by just texting my name, Carrie, C-A-R-E-Y, to 55123. That's Carrie to 55123. Thanks so much for our partners. Hey, we vet them carefully. We believe in them. Hope you'll check them out. And in the meantime, let's jump into my conversation with Amy C. Edmondson. Amy, welcome to the podcast. Great to be here. Yeah, so you've spent a lot of your career studying teams. And I thought that was uh, kind of interesting Almost everyone listening to this podcast is either leading a team or is part of a team. But you really made me think, like every time you watch a movie, right? You watch a movie and it could be like one of the best movies of all time. And these people haven't worked together for 20 years. Like it's this ensemble of technical people, directors, producers, actors who haven't worked together before. You mentioned the same thing happens in healthcare, Um, you know, first responders. It's a whole bunch of strangers who kind of come together. Uh, What are are some keys to getting relative strangers to function as a team? I thought that was really interesting because I always try to build a team and like keep all the people I know, right? But that's like a really fascinating dynamic. You know, first of all, I think it is, I'm not against the stable team, right? If you've got a stable team, more power to you, right? It can be an incredibly powerful thing to have people you know well, you can sort of second guess each other's moves, you know what skills they have. Hmm. But I have been observing the workplace for many years. And for example, healthcare delivery being one setting or movies, as you just raised, where it turns out you just don't have that option, right? Like it or not, you're going to be working with people you haven't worked with before in shifting configurations in an ongoing way. I call that teaming, right? To distinguish it from the stable mm-hmm. team or the, you know, the the entity of a team to say, these are the processes of a team, the activities of a team. And I, I think to do it well, it, it, like all teams, you have to clarify early and often what it is we're trying to do. You know, what's the mission? And then You've got to quickly get up to speed with these relative strangers. That doesn't mean you Mm -hmm. need to know everything about their childhood or their professional history even. You just want to know a couple of things. Like, what what are you passionate about? What are you trying to do here? And what are you up against? You know, what are you worried about? And what do you bring, right? What skills, what resources do you bring? I think if you have the answer to those three questions, you're off and running. Right? You're, you're prepared to team. 
And of course you have to just, this puts a real premium on communication. You got to stay in touch. You've got to keep checking in. You got to keep, um, especially checking the impact um, that you're having on others and giving them feedback about the impact they're having on you and on the task. Yeah, it's really interesting to me because I hadn't, I've always worked in a more stable team, normal team, whether there's a law firm, a church, or now my own staff. Um, you know, you kind of hire people, you hope to hang on to them for years, right? right? That's good, sort of the goal. You're when a you're good hiring. leader, that's going to happen. Yeah, exactly. But there is that, like a lot of leaders, and they say 2021 is a year of turnover. And so we've seen an awful lot of people who are leaving because of geography, family, post-COVID. It's like, I'm going to make a change. And I know that's been a frustration for a lot of leaders where when they have high churn or you're in, a, you know, some leaders, I'm sure in a rest, like restaurants or that kind of thing where turnover happens an awful lot. Um, what are some keys to building trust quickly on a team? You mentioned a few, but do you want to, is there anything deeper on that? Like, how do you, if you've got a whole bunch of new people on your team, how do you, how do you build rapport? How do you build rapport? It's, um, to me, I always want people to start with the mission, right? Start with the task. Mm. Start with the work itself. The the big why of bringing us together, because it's. I right. think you can get bogged down on on the interpersonal. I'm, I'm I study the interpersonal. I'm a big fan of the interpersonal, but the interpersonal um, works better when we know what we're doing and why and we're passionate about that. Because then when things aren't going well, it's not about you, right? It's not, it's not me saying you're inadequate in some way. It's me saying, I don't think that worked for the project. And here's why. So we, we, this puts a real premium on interpersonal skills, which I think is no more or less than, than learning how to tell the truth from a place of humility, right? So this is my, this is what mm. I see. You know, truthfully, I'm worried about this or that, or I'm wondering about this or that, or I have a question or I have a different view. And that has to come from a place of recognizing that my reality is just a partial reality, right? I don't know hmm. everything. I'm not omniscient. So I, I'm, I'm going to tell, I'm going to tell you what I think and feel, but I'm going to recognize as I do so that I only have part of the picture. You have the other part. Hmm. So Pat Lencioni has been on this uh, podcast numerous times and we've talked about this, but I'd love your take. What do, what do most dysfunctional teams seem to have in common? If I want to re if I'm consulting you, help me build a really bad team. <laughs> what am I doing? Well, for, okay. What is remind what? everybody that they're in it for themselves. Right, that their own career comes first, their own personal needs and preferences come first, and they should not give an inch um, based on what other people mm -hmm. might need uh, or want. Uh, so, you know, you, you, you see where I'm going here. I mean, the whole, I'm in it for the myself. The number one okay. thing is a kind of me versus we uh, attitude. And I don't mean that in a, you know, a moralistic way. It's actually quite mm -hmm. natural. Right? As, a, as a human being, we instinctively have our needs. We want them met. We have our goals. We want to achieve them. And it's quite easy, you know, inadvertently to lose sight of the fact that other people do also, right? They have needs, they have goals. Mm. So um, when, you know, it's not that I think good teams completely, uh, you know, make, make, have, have no individual, no individuality at all. 
I'm not saying that good teams right. have no individuality um, or no um, that the needs of the individuals don't matter. They do, but we the the team goal has to come first, right? I mean, because ultimately that feeds back to help each individual, right? If we do great work on this sure. team, our careers, our needs, our emotional needs will be better served. It's true. You spend a lot of your time at work. Okay, what else do I do if I want to build a dysfunctional team? What are some dysfunctions of uh, teams? Make sure they don't, um, they don't learn. I mean, they don't, they don't recognize that other people with other backgrounds and maybe other areas of expertise might see the world differently. And right? so, so mm. fail to, you know, fail to recognize that we could each have unique information. Um, and, and so if I sort of come to a team assuming that you know what I know, because it's reality, it's basic, um, then I will fail to share the unique things that only I bring. And you'll fail to share the unique things mm. that only you bring. And so we will, we will be prey to what's called the common information effect, which was studied by a psychologist named Gerald Stasser, uh, at first. And it was that when diverse teams come together with lots of unique information, they still tend to spend most of their time discussing the common information, right? The things that all of us knew going in. So with the result that they're wasting hmm. the potential synergy, right? The, the potential. You know, the, think about how uh, how much knowledge that team had. Well, only a tiny sliver of it hmm. actually came out. Hmm. You know that I'm, I'm, uh, that is new information for me. I hadn't heard about that study. So what you're saying is, there's sort of a viewpoint, maybe as a boss, that I would bring right. to a dialogue, or a manager would bring to a dialogue, and that sort of becomes a dominant narrative. And meanwhile, you're leaving all this wisdom off on the table yeah, or all off this, the table. You know, so you could, you could you could imagine a bunch of of circles, you know, person A, person B, person C, person D, and we each have all this information and and skills to offer. But very naturally, as human beings, one of the things we do is we find uh, we start talking about something, and we immediately glom on to something we have in common. And, and then we spend mm. our time talking about that. And we agree wholeheartedly. Oh, yeah, that's the way it is. And then, boom, the time's over. And we have failed to share that information that was unique, that could have enriched uh, the project. You, you haven't taught me something I don't know. And I haven't taught you something I don't know. So is there like a, a prompting question or something like that that sure. can open that up so you don't just end up? I, I mean, you know, I think this is a, a framing question or a framing task where you mm. say, hey, we've all we've all come together with different backgrounds, likely different knowledge to make a decision about such and such or to brainstorm ideas about a new product or whatever, whatever it is to plan the holiday party. I don't know. But but whatever it is, yeah, yeah, sure. let's let's go around and share some of the thoughts we have about this issue, you know, or the experiences we've had uh, with respect to this issue. So a deliberate uh, treasure hunt, if you will, that that's hmm. framed as a is framed as an opportunity uh, to pull things together, and that in fact does just that. Anything else you see in dysfunctional teams? <laughs> Well, of course, a big one um, uh, for me is that people have ideas, and this is separate from the common information effect, which is just a kind of very natural tendency to glom on to the things we had in common. 
Um, but in, in teams, very often people just, they have ideas, they have questions, they have concerns, and they don't share them. Right? They don't want to be unpopular. Mm. They don't want to look bad. They don't want to ask a question that they believe they're already supposed to know the answer to. Um, and, and, and so they have what I call low psychological safety. And so again, the potential synergy, the potential wisdom of that team doesn't get translated into actual wisdom or synergy. And this is perhaps what you're best known for is the whole concept of psychological safety. You've spent an awful lot of your career developing that over time. And I was sharing with you, we had, had Adam Grant on a few months ago and you and him have talked about this publicly and he's a big proponent. For leaders who may not be familiar with that term, what is psychological safety? Psychological safety is a belief that the context is safe for interpersonal risks like speaking up about with a question or with an idea or even with a mistake, right? So it's um, probably more simply put as a sense of permission for candor, right? Again, I can tell it, mm. I can tell it to you straight and I won't be humiliated or, or made to feel less good about myself as a result. Yeah, and people are not naturally good at this. Is, no. that, is that sort of the thesis? Like most workplaces are not psychologically safe? That's right. In fact, that's the, the thing I think is least um, well recognized or understood. I think recently there's been a, a, a tendency to think of psychological safety as something that any reasonably healthy workplace would have. You know, a, a good enough right. workplace would have psychological safety. Actually, I see it as a much higher uh, you know, more rare and and kind of higher standard. What um, what does that feel like? What is because as as I've been exploring your work, um, I look back and I'm like, you know what? Probably 20 years ago, I was not a very psychologically safe boss. It was like, don't bring me bad news, right? right? Or you're wrong about that. And really, it's it's sometimes the phrase I've used as I've learned in this area is, no, you have permission to speak freely. Yes. Whereas, yeah. don't just tell me what I want to hear. Yeah. But then people don't even believe that they can speak freely either, no. right? So can you can you paint a picture, like in, a, in a, maybe a picture of a, a psychologically unhealthy workplace and then paint a picture of, of for us for what it feels like to be in so a healthy I, I place? I think in a psychologically unsafe workplace, you hear a lot of good news, right? You hear a lot of progress mm. reports. Um, you have people telling you of their successes or their 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 KPIs are, are being met beautifully all the time. Um, you, you don't hear a lot of people saying, wow, this isn't going very well, or I need help with this, or we've had an unexpected delay with that product launch, um, or um, I'm not sure if this is right. Can I, can I check in with you on this? Right. So, so the ratio hmm. of kind of happy talk to I need help, I have a problem talk is out of whack given that we're in a volatile, uncertain, complex, ambiguous world, right? I mean, if you think about the, the dynamism, the uncertainty, the complexity of the environment in which most organizations are operating, it just can't be the case that everything's good news, right? That's not logical. Mm -hmm. So if you're hearing too much happy talk, it's probably an indication you're not hearing enough of the straight talk. 
Well, I'm so glad you clarified that because I think in the popular imagination, it would be easy to say psychological safety is you don't have the ranting boss right, who's throwing right, things, right. Or, you know, right? Yeah. But what you're saying is it would be easy to deceive yourself as a leader going, no, everything's yeah. great in my church, my company. Because look, these people come in with great news all the time. Everything's everybody's awesome. Happy. So yeah. is, everybody's happy. So we really don't have any problems. So I don't know what you're talking right. about. But underneath that, you're saying, oh, no, you have no idea what's really going on. I mean, so many people nowadays um, have the experience because of the speed of change, uh, maybe because they are they're, they uh, are in growing companies or maybe getting promoted where they're just, you know, barely hanging on. I mean, I don't I don't mean that in a sort of unhealthy way, but that they're um, they're being stretched. They're being challenged, which, by the way, is a good feeling. But if you're being challenged. Right. If you're in a stretch assignment, there's probably things you don't know, right? So how comfortable do you mm. feel asking questions, asking for help? And, and, and I think there's a kind of mismatch between our, our, our mental models of, you know, you're, if you're a good employee, you're supposed to just know what to do and do it and do it well. And our reality, which says, no, if you're a good employee, you're a fast learner. And if you're a fast learner, that means things are going you know, wrong and you're learning from them and then things are going better and you're learning from that too. Mm. So uh, we can think about a spectrum, let's say from one to 10, where, you know, one to three would be a truly toxic team. You know, maybe there's, there's uh, right. belittling and bullying and, and, um, you know, it's a pretty miserable place. But then what you were just describing was that zone in the middle, let's say from, you know, three to six where, or, or maybe even three to seven, where it look, things seem to be going just fine. People seem to be happy and, you know, engaged and working hard, right? And so, oh, must be fine. What's left on the table, right? What value isn't being tapped into because you're not at seven, eight, nine, ten, 10, right? Where, where people are just so much more focused on the work, on the goal, on each other, that they're not worrying so much about, oh, how am I doing? And is it, you know, how will I look if I say this or say that? How do you cultivate? So give us a picture, maybe we'll start here. Give us a picture of oh, yeah. what a psychologically safe conversation would be, where let's say I'm not the boss right. and I'm like, wow, we are really missing the boat on this project. This is what I'm thinking. This is what I'm talking to my spouse about at night. Like, oh, I don't know how he doesn't see it, Right but you're afraid to bring that to work. What 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 does it start to look like when you're in a safe environment where you have permission to speak freely? A lot of energy, freely? right? A lot of energy, mm -hmm. um, a, a, a lot of, um, you know, what I would call interpersonal risk-taking, um, like, you know, this might be a terrible idea, but, uh, you know, let me, let, me give it a, right. let me give it a try. Or I've never done this before. Um, do, do any of you have experienced this that, where you could help me? So you'd be hearing people saying the kinds of things that we, we don't say when we're worried about looking good. Um, you know, the, 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 mm. there's a, so you'd, it, you'd hear um, there, there's energy, there's engagement, there's some laughter because uh, we're going to, you know, we're going to step in it at, at times. Um, we're going to make mistakes. We're going to hear about those mistakes you know, I stumbled into this whole phenomenon in the first place by noticing real differences across patient care units in the same hospitals in just the frequency and willingness to talk about error. 
You know, it just didn't, these are very good hospitals. It didn't seem likely to me that they were just making more errors over there versus over there, right? These are all highly selected hmm. clinicians um, in very, you know, very excellent organizations. So it's like, well, what's going on here? Why is it, why are they talking about errors and they're not? I didn't believe it would be because they just don't make them, right? Or that, you know. Yeah, and if I remember right, that research, Amy, was that the psychologically, what became known as the psychologically safe workplaces require or reported a higher error right. rate right. than unsafe workplaces, right. which is weird, right? right? Weird. In other exactly. words, excellent. And we've yeah. seen that in okay. other settings too. You know, in the aftermath of that work, which was early days of the patient safety research and patient safety uh, efforts, mm. um, people, hospitals starting implementing patient safety initiatives. And, and sometimes one of the main policy things that would get implemented would be a new policy called blame-free reporting, right? You've got to report. You've oh. got to tell us, don't worry, there won't be consequences for reporting. By the way, military has this too. Um, the military takes it a step further where they say there will be consequences for not reporting, right? If we find out something oh. went wrong in, a let's say, a, a, a training flight and you didn't talk about it, in a timely way, then there'll be consequences. But there's never consequences for reporting uh, the errors quickly because a team can learn from them. So, so one of so in this one study I did where they put in blame-free reporting, reporting like you know December, there it is. All of a sudden, the safety incident reports start going way up. You know, and it's it's this strange signal because you see that and it's like wait. Is that bad news? Does that mean all of a sudden there's all these bad things happening in the hospital that weren't happening before? Probably not. In fact, it's good news because we're talking about them. And when we can talk about right. them, we can, you know, catch, prevent, and improve our processes so that they don't happen again. Right. What I'm, what I'm picking up from your research and your work in this field is you want to create the kind of environment as a boss where people feel free to tell you the truth. Right, right. The truth about, does that like all across the board, truth about your performance as a boss, truth about how the organization's right. really doing, not having to cover their butt and like, uh-oh, better hide that one before somebody finds out. Like just that radical candor that's, and, and progress toward the mission. Is that getting in the field of psychological safety? Absolutely, that's it. You know, and 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 um, I love Kim Scott's work. I love radical candor. Um, I, I sometimes think the word radical uh, might scare people, right? Because it okay. might it might sound like brutal candor, right? Which I don't think we're, we're mm. ever going to do too well as humans with brutality. You know, we don't want we don't want to be brutal. Yeah, that's like, a good point. We, we, maybe compassionate candor. You know, I'm gonna I'm gonna do the best I can. But I'm coming from my own perspective. I could be missing something. I'm almost certainly missing something. Right. So it's 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 humble candor. It's compassionate candor. Hmm. So you're reading the mail already of thousands of leaders who are here, and some of them are realizing, uh oh, uh oh, I don't think we're a very safe workplace right. psychologically. Um, speak to bosses. Yeah. If bosses are realizing like, I only want good news. Don't tell me this stuff. Sometimes I get defensive if people bring me stuff I don't want to hear or I never really ask for mm -hmm. feedback. I've seen that too 
It's like, you can't really give me feedback, just praise. Yep, right. Like if I'm doing a good job, let me for, know. How, how do you change that as a boss? How do you change I mean, the temperature? First, hashtag human, right? Recognize yeah. this is part of the human condition. We all prefer praise to criticism. That's that's mm-hmm. okay. That you know, that that's that's um that's just a given. Um, but we're willing to learn to handle the criticism and the bad news because our our aspirations are greater, right? Than just maintaining the status quo. And so, you know, why would why would I be willing to take criticism? Because I want to be better, right? I want to be better tomorrow than I am today. Why as a boss am I willing to hear bad news even though it's not fun? Because I want us to be better, right? I want us to figure it out. You know, problem solving is a team sport, right? Problem detection right. is quite ably done by individuals. So, you know, one of my hmm. least favorite sort of management sayings that I think many people think are, 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 are good sayings for, for obvious reasons is, don't come to me with problems, come to me with solutions. Right? And of course, the intent of that, okay. of that well-known saying is use your head, think, you know, and, and be constructive and be productive. And of course, we all want that. But what's the message you think that people really hear? Don't come to me with problems, mm-hmm. right? And, and we, people are good at seeing problems because they're close to the customer or close to the work. But the solutions may abs- actually require a team to come together, right? The solutions are often not local, right? You have to get the coordination of that group over there and the cooperation of that group over there. So when you inadvertently send the message, don't come to me with problems until you've really got some at least uh, partial solution going, you're you're harming the organization, right? Because that, that solution mm. is going to be better developed if we work on it together. Are there some steps? Like, do you just walk into a meeting and say, hey, I listened to this podcast and maybe they read your book, right? And it's like, guess what? We're not a very psychologically safe yeah. workplace. Like, if you come to that realization as a leader, how do you usher in a different climate that people come to you trust? Know, I've identified three categories of of behavior, this is all words, really, but the three categories of mm-hmm. leadership action um, are, in a sense, before, during, and after, although that's an oversimplification. But the before part is setting the stage, and the mo- and and setting the stage to me consists of two things: one, reminding of purpose early and often. You know, we um, mm. at Harvard Business School, um, or we had a prior dean a couple of deans ago, Kim Clark who would start every faculty meeting with, with our mission as a school. You'd say, we're here to educate leaders who make a difference in the world. Now, don't you think the faculty already knew the mission? Of course they did. But somehow starting the meeting that way sort of makes it nobler, right? It puts you on that, on that same page. It makes you think about think less about yourself and more about why this matters. Again, why this matters to the world, what we do, why we work hard um, because of that that mission. So kind of periodic um, reminding of people of the the excitement and the importance of, of what we do, for whom we do it, um, is, is part of it. But the other part, which is much less well-recognized, I would say, I call it framing the work, which is really about 
getting people on the same page about the nature of the work we're doing, right? Is this, um, you know, high volume, well understood playbook kind of work where we, where we're excited about excellence. We're excited about Six Sigma. You know, we're excited about finding those small imperfections so that we can correct them immediately and deliver only perfect, um, products to, to our customers. Or is this complex system work like supply chains or patient care delivery? Um, or is it innovation work? Right. And, and the, the, as mm. we move toward innovation work, um, and as we move from routine work to more innovation work, we, we're encountering much higher levels of uncertainty. So why does True. that matter? Well, because if there's uncertainty, guess what? Things are going to go wrong. We're not going to know how to do something. And, and so we have to distinguish between kind of executing on known formulas and discovering new formulas and everything in between. So where the margin for know, error is going to be much, much right. higher. That's a really right. good point. And just reminding people, guess what? Things will go wrong. You know, it's, it's sort mm. of, um, what I say is that a good framing statement, um, like Julie Morath, chief operating officer at Children's Hospital and main major leader in the patient safety uh, movement, um, would say all the time, healthcare delivery by its very nature is a complex error prone system. Now, it's kind of a gloomy thing to say, right? But no, because what yeah. she's saying is, guess what? Things will go wrong. The only question is, are we going to hear about them in time to help our patients avoid harm? Wow. Right. So, but if you go in before, you know, the, the, before she came in, most people in the hospital, mm -hmm. like so many other hospitals thought about when something goes wrong, there's a culprit. Like when something goes wrong, there's right. someone who's obviously just not as competent as they need to be. Who's uh, going to lose their job? Right. Maybe mm -hmm. they didn't, you know, so, <laughs> so you've got to reframe it from, you know, the default model, which many of which are kind of inherited from the industrial era and are no longer serving us. You have to reframe yeah. the nature of reality or the nature of the project to the messy reality it really is. Like this, no one's ever done anything mm. like this before, right? And if no one's ever done anything like this before, we're going to be trying things out. Some of them are going to work. Some of them aren't, right? So I'm framing the work in a way that basically says your voice is mission critical, right? Mm, you might say things like, um, you know, all of us are smarter than any of us. Um, whatever your favorite thing to emphasize, do it often, right? Because it just reminds people. I think you're, the number one result here is to have people genuinely understand why candor might be an acceptable behavior, right? Because keep in mind, again, right. like the default is it's not, right? The default is you're better safe than sorry. The default is nobody ever got fired for silence. Uh, so what you have to do is kind of sell the reason why this, re this reality that we all face together is one that's going to require us to be speaking up candidly. And then you invite, you know, the second was, thing is super quick. Okay, that was this long, the third right? part. But the second yeah. thing is sort of be proactive, ask good questions, you know, master the art of the good mm. question. Uh, uh, what are you seeing out there, right? Who has a different perspective? Right? The, 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 the open ended, but, but focused on, on the topic at hand, uh, kind of question. 
the what questions, the who questions, um, flesh that out for me questions. Um, and then, and hmm. then, and so you're, you're inviting it. You're basically saying I'm all ears. Right. And then finally, I'll often say, what are we not seeing? Right. What, what am are I we not seeing? seeing? Gotcha. You know, Is that a good I, question. Um, or you might even say things like, you know, um, I've, I've never done anything like this before. I'd love to have your thoughts, right? You're just, you're issuing right. the invitation explicitly. And then finally, let's say you start hearing a bunch of stupid stuff or unhappy stuff or bad news stuff. How do you respond? Right. And, and I like to say respond productively. Um, well, what does that mean? Well, that means fundamentally appreciative and forward looking. You know, appreciative might be, mm. thanks for stepping up to come up with some ideas or thanks for that clear line of sight, whatever it is. It's like a genuine, it's a genuine statement, no happy talk, no fake talk, but it's a genuine statement. Let's say it's bad news. Let's say we have a product delay. I say, thanks for that clear line of sight. And then forward looking, mm. how can I help? Right. And right. so that makes something that was for, for the other person, almost certainly challenging, you know, almost certainly they would like to be anywhere but here bringing you this bad news. So you take something that's inherently a not fun experience and you turn it into a good experience, right? You turn it into an experience where they're just like, oh, they're sort of coming away thinking that wasn't so bad. And I got help with the plan forward, right? So, so life goes on yeah. and, and um, we're, you know, we're mastering some of this novelty together. Well, that's super helpful for the leaders who realize, okay, I need to become more psychologically safe. And I've taken a few notes, but I imagine there's even more people listening who are not the boss who are going, <laughs> but I am in a psychologically unsafe environment. And if I speak up, I get kicked out of offices or the boss doesn't want to hear it, or my manager just isn't open to that. What, what advice do you have for that person? You know, I, I want to, I almost want to step back for a second and say, I suspect sure. that more, more people believe that to be the case than is actually the case, right? We, we believe we hmm. can't speak up. We believe people don't want to hear from us or only want to hear good news from us when in fact we haven't tested it, right? So, so I want to respond to that by saying, well, you know, test it. Like don't, don't take wild eyed risks that you're really terrified to take, but take, take smaller <laughs> risks, right? Test the gradient, see what happens. And I think more often than not, it won't be so bad, right? And then you're and then you're sort of inching mm. uh, forward. Um, and I, I want to say I recognize, and I think everybody recognizes that, you know, the manager, the boss's behavior has a greater influence on the climate of the team than uh, a team member's or a peer's behavior, or your right. your own behavior. Let's say if you're not the boss, um, but do not underestimate the positive impact you can have. In fact, the same three leadership skills, and keep in mind that leadership is different than leader. Like leader is a role, leadership is behavior that influences others in a positive way. So some of those same leadership behaviors can be done by anyone, any team member. Calling attention to the novelty of this project, anyone can do that. You can do that, right? You say, well, has any, have any of you ever done anything like this before? I haven't, right? Call attention to it. This is like a really cool opportunity, but we're going to certainly face challenges along the way. You know, you can do things that frame the work. 
You can also, and this to me is the most, I should start here because it's so powerful. Mm. Anytime you ask a fellow team member a question, you know, a genuine question, how do you see it? You're A, conveying respect and B, giving them that little moment of psychological safety because you've said, I want your voice. And then they Mm. speak because it's very awkward when someone asks you a direct question to remain silent, right? So they speak, you listen, and in that moment, you're further demonstrating the respect and you're listening, so you're learning. And those kinds of things get reciprocated. So it can be, it can bubble up, you know, unless you have a um, really difficult, you know, dysfunctional um, manager, I think anyone on the team can start to create a more, let's just call it a more learning oriented uh, culture where there just, there's more deliberate, you know, deliberate curiosity, deliberate ideation where, where you're just um, almost treating each day as that opportunity to, to learn from each other and, and, and do good work. No, that sounds like a great advice because you can always find psychological safety with a coworker, with your own team. You can build that with the people that you happen to be leading, even if you're not at the top of the organization. How would you, I'm thinking about the leader who wants to walk in and tell the boss what's really going on. Yeah. And they're not used to that kind of candor, even the gentle, gracious candor in in their organization. Are there, do you have a couple of strategies on like a good way to try that without being thrown out of the office or fired or you yeah. know, creating that fearless organization you write about? Like, what would you say if I'm walking into my boss's office and I'm going to give feedback, what's a good way to frame it? I would say, you know, start first make make a few notes before you go in there. Right, get your get your sort of mm-hmm. thoughts together because this is hard. Right, this isn't. Um, you can yeah. think of this as like Olympic level athletics. Right, this is not um, not something you do casually or in your sleep. You want to have thought it through, and not not sure. because I am trying to convey that power differences matter, but that giving feedback to anyone, you know, a peer, a subordinate. Uh, a manager, those are, those are all challenging tasks. So, you know, jot down a few notes and then be as, um, be as concrete as you can about what you have observed. Um, not what you think about it, right? Not what your opinion of it is, but what you've observed and what impact you think it's having on the project or on, on, on the work. And so it's not, um, what, what it's, um, it's the, the, the shortcoming or the op- the improvement opportunity um, is a gem, right? It's not. Um, mm. It's it's um, it's it's a way. Uh, you know, it's a way. Your you are your intentions are to be helpful, and you are motivated right. by the work, right? This isn't you trying to fix another human being. That never works, right? This is you observing some dynamics or actions or responses or what have you that might be, might be, place of humility, harming the progress of, of the team. So as mm. concrete as possible, uh, focus on what you observe, what the impact was, and then all important, um, stop and, and check in. Like, how does that sound? Um, um, you know, right. and, 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 and what, what, you know, sort of try to find out what they're hearing and cause we're never quite as clear as we uh, mean to be. 
Yeah, would you? I'm thinking about times where I've had to kind of break the ice with difficult news. Would you? Would you open with something like, "Hey, I'm noticing a few things about this project. Would you be open to some feedback yeah. on it?" I, I, I mean, I, I, you want to? I mean, you don't want to blindside them, right? You want to kind of um, right. frame the conversation as one that um, is going to be difficult for you and might be difficult for them too, right? It, you know, is is now a good time? I mean, I think, um, right. it, you know, is, is, would, would now, you know, would, would, um, are you, are you, um, you know, are you, are you in a place right now where we could talk about, um, some of the challenges that I'm, I'm seeing on the project? No, that makes a lot of sense. So we got a whole new generation coming into the workplace. Gen Z is now graduating from places like Harvard, moving into the workplace, are there generational differences in psychological safety? I think I have seen arguments that it's even more important the younger your workers are. Any thoughts on you know, that? Is I that don't accurate? have any systematic data on this, and and I I'd love to get some. I think it's an important question. Yeah, yeah. Um, I suspect there's going to be a lot of variability within Gen Z. I mean, I don't mean just the individuals, because this is a very contextual phenomenon, right? This isn't, um, you know, it isn't Carrie who has psychological safety or who doesn't. Um, it's, um, you know, a context, a particular group, a, a unit. But I, I think there's likely to be real differences, right? Some some pockets of just absolute straight talk um, and and others um, where, you know, there's, there's, there's a worry um, about um, you know, because because this, as we've been discussing, straight talk and being candid includes a healthy mix of of good and bad news. And uh, mm. you know, there there's some worry, at least for some portions of this generation, um, where they've never gotten a bad grade and they've gotten a trophy for showing up. And and so you know they yeah. they might not have the muscles uh, for for the healthy failure muscles, um, if you will. But I'm always wary about generalizing an age group because I think we have such stunning differences um, in the experiences that um, people have gone through and the skills that they've learned and the resilience that they've that they've developed. Um, do you notice any differences? And you may not want to comment on this, but just you know, you've taught for a number of years now at Harvard, so you've seen you've probably taught millennials, you've taught. Uh, Gen Z now, are you seeing differences from decade to decade, half half decade to half decade? You know, I'm probably going to get in trouble here, but the um, there is a um, there has been a, an inexorable trend toward um, let's just say a desire on the part of the students that we not give them quite so much homework, um, or you mm. know that. that so they they are both um, very eager for feedback. Like that's a healthy thing. They'll come in. They'll get feedback. Mm -hmm. They want to get better, right? And right. at the same time, they also want this experience here at Harvard Business School to be just you know super energizing and super fun all the time. And that doesn't always include reading you know three fourteen page cases tonight and you know running some numbers and and all the rest. So there's been a kind of um, uh, steady, um, I don't know, I always think of it as a, a, a decline in tolerance for the um, workload, I suppose. 
Um, and I don't... Oh, in the work law, I didn't go to Harvard Business School, but going to Osgoode Hall Law School, I can tell you, I still remember admin law and it, it's like I shudder when I think about 800 pages of case yeah. law and like it was... Right, and it's 11.30 and you haven't right? even started for your third, prepare for your third class yet. And How do you navigate that with students? Do you do you end up just saying you're right? We'll reduce the workload. Do you do you talk them into I, it? I what, think what do you, what do you, uh, there's a kind of collective um, trend to reduce it because there's this strange thing in academia now that I I, I think is somewhat new to view the customers, the students as the customers. Um, I, I think hmm. in, in historically. The future employers were the customers, right? We we wanted to give them right. the very best products. We still do, of course. Uh, we still want that very much. Mm. But um, there is a um, um, a desire to um, have the students be happy. Um, and I'm sure from your law school experience, you wouldn't report that you were happy uh, the whole time. Oh no, we weren't happy at all. I can tell you that. <laughs> and it's a bit, you know, it was tough. I'm glad I did it, but man, it was brutal at times. Yeah, and 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 at times where you just thought, I don't think I can do this, or I can't, you know, I I hate this. Oh um, yeah, I, I I can't wait for the weekend. I hate or, this, but it was like the bar is here, and if you want to pass and you want a degree from this institution, this right. is what you have to do. And most people adapt and they figure yeah. it out, and that turned out to be a really good training for right. life in my case. And then you feel so, I mean, I think you feel so good about yourself when you have, you know, seen the mountain, climbed it, didn't think you could, but you climbed it. And then it's like, wow, yeah, I did do that. I, I rose to the occasion well, right, with I'm, my friends, right? With it's my a colleagues. good law school. And I'm, I'm proud of it because I had to work so hard to get that, like harder than my undergrad, harder than seminary, not that seminary was a breeze, but like relatively speaking, it's like, okay, that means something. Yeah. You know? And it shaped me. It shaped my work habits. It shaped my resilience. It shaped all kinds of things. And it was, uh, yeah, you know, could they have done things better? Sure, they could have done things better. But Wait. yeah, I, I hear so you. We're talking about challenge right now, right? It's like we've, mm -hmm. we've come around to it, which is kind of the other part. I talk a lot about psychological safety because it's what I've been studying. Um, and, and so that comes out in the foreground. But psychological safety is clearly not enough, right? It's not a recipe for excellence. It's kind of a, I think of it as a means to excellence in a complex, fast-changing world. Um, but I, I, um, I think of the optimal state as high psychological safety, high challenge. Because then you've, you know, you've ah. got a, you've got an ambitious goal. You've got something exciting. You care about it. Not quite sure we're going to be able to pull this off, but you do pull it off and you pull it off in part because you're able to speak up and ask for help. You're able to, um, you know, sort of find and catch and correct errors quickly. Um, you're able to share wacky ideas and, and then fine tune them until they're better. So that, that, um, that space where you have both, you know, real challenge, really engaged by that challenge and you're not so tied up in knots of how do I look? How do I come across? You're, you're in fact just willing to say it like it is. And that's, that's a very powerful domain. Yeah, and that's one of the criticisms that, that you've addressed in the past about psychological safety is without high challenge, it's kind of meaningless right. because you ended up picking apart something that's going nowhere and having candor for no purpose. On the other hand, if I read this right, 
if you only have high challenge and people are terrified of missing the goal, right. you can create right. a right. And then they're fear. terrified and they don't ask for help and you know they don't report when you know errors or things, and then things go spiraling out of control and you don't even know it's happening. So a lot of valuable time is lost, right? So this is one of the things I think um, you know, we were talking earlier about leaders who don't know that they might have a psychological safety problem. Everything seems to be fine. Right. And here's the, the biggest challenge is that you don't know about the value that you left behind, right? It's not, it doesn't announce mm. itself. It doesn't sort of raise its hand and say, this project could have been 10% faster or 10% better uh, or 10% more lucrative. You know, it just, the, the ideas that didn't get shared, the the concerns that didn't get raised don't uh, are invisible, right? They don't announce themselves. So they're invisible. So you, you know, you finish, here's the project looks pretty good. Right. And you don't know it could have been that much better. So that's the tricky part. It's like a lot of, you know, the sort of okay psychological safety zone doesn't announce itself um, as a problem. Interesting. Yeah. And and I can see that the the like um, flesh this out a little bit. But if you've only got high challenge and you don't have psychological safety, you may have super high turnover because it's right. just a meat grinder of an environment, or people don't feel safe. Or you might have been able to accomplish a lot right. more because you left so much on the table. So you think you're high challenge, but you've actually stunted right. your growth because people aren't bringing their full self. Am I, you know, am I getting exactly that right? Right. And 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 uh, to. To be honest, I mean, I'll, I'll, I will say that there's an exception to that, which is if the work is okay. the kind of work that can be done by individuals acting alone, then the psychological safety might not matter so much, right? If, if you can do hmm. your thing, I do my thing, separate lanes, um, and, you know, it's really clear what good looks like. I can be, you know, super challenged and not at all psychologically safe. And I can execute to spec, right? And 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 what what kind of environments have that? Because I'm thinking that doesn't not sound like many. my workplace. You know, yeah. maybe some okay aspects of sales, but co- any kind of complex organization, sales are usually a team sport too, because you're you're sort of out there mm-hmm. meeting with customers, but then you need to coordinate delivery dates with, you know, certainly B two B sales are absolutely a, a team sport. So. There aren't yeah. too many. I mean, I think the world has gotten more and more interdependent or the, you know, the work is more and more interdependent over the years. Yeah, I would say as soon as there was two people on the team yeah. and I was solo staff at the very beginning, then you're kind of into that interdependent framework. And I, I find myself relying very heavily on the feedback of my team these days. Um, uh, what is one question about workplaces, Amy, that you wish more leaders were asking. Oh, gosh, um, about workplaces. Um, mm-hmm. Just about, well, most of us either work or we're leading a workplace. So what do you wish we were paying attention to that we're not paying attention to? People are at work to help get the mission accomplished, right? To help get the work done. But they're also there to grow and develop as people. And I, I think when... Th- that latter emphasis isn't a part of the workplace. Um, you're more mm-hmm. at risk of higher turnover. You're more at risk of not developing your people so that they will be, you know, the even more valuable in the, in the future than they are today. So, so 
it's it's thinking about the workplace as a deliberately developmental place, like Bob um, uh, Keegan at, at Harvard uh, Ed School talks about the deliberately developmental organization. It's very rare, unusual mm. kinds of organizations, you know, where people where they take seriously the opportunity not only to get the work done, but to grow and develop the people, uh, because that's what we all at some level really yearn for. And work is a place where we can, and I think must do that. So thinking about how to really recreate your organization or your team as a learning team or a learning organization um, is probably the question um, I'd love to see even more attention to. That's a great place to leave it. You know, uh, I think John Maxwell piqued that idea in me. He talks about people development, that people leave your workplace, whatever that is, whether that's after a year or a decade or a lifetime. Mm -hmm. And they're better people, not just better workers as a result. So that's awesome. Amy, I know people are going to want to dive into your work a little bit more. Where can they find you and your research online? Well, hbs.edu. A faculty page, Amy Edmondson. It's um, that's I can send you the the actual link. Yeah, we'll put it all in the show yep, notes. That's mm-hmm. uh, that'd be great. We'll put it in the show notes. So that's um, that's where you can see uh, the many publications. I think for more on psychological safety, my book, The Fearless Organization, is a is a really good place to start. Well, Amy, thanks for uh, helping us all get a little bit better and creating uh, a lot better workplaces <laughs> in the process. I really appreciate it. I appreciate you. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Well, if you want more from that conversation, you can head on over to get the show notes. You can find them at kerryneuhoff.com slash episode 430. Thank you for all your encouragement, for all your support for, uh, man, I just read a letter today from a listener in Germany who discovered us about a year ago. I know we have a, I think we're, this podcast is in like, I don't know, 150 countries. How many countries are there? It's in most of them. I think there's like 10 countries where people don't listen to this podcast. But uh, man, so grateful. And thank you. Your encouragement means the world when you share it on social media. Really appreciate it. And of course, uh, you know, subscribers, you get it all for free week after week after week. Want to give you a sneak peek into who is coming up. We have Amy Porterfield. So excited for that. I've followed her for years. Going to talk about Netflix's culture with Aaron Meyer, Horst Schultze, uh, Chris McChesney, David Allen from Getting Things Done, Louis Giglio, and many more. But next time, Chris Hodges. And we get really personal. He talks about a very dark period in his life. And here's an excerpt. And Carrie, it just got the best of me. I mean, I wasn't ever going to take my physical life, but I was on the doorstep of ministry suicide. I was done. Hmm. I was done. I just, you know, didn't feel like I signed up for all of that. And just one of my greatest um, pet peeves is to be misunderstood. And I felt like I was being misunderstood. And I took responsibility for what that I thought I was responsible for. And, you know, it didn't seem like it was enough. And I don't know, it just, and it hurt. That's next time on the podcast. And uh, yeah, we're going to go there. I mean, mental health is a significant issue. And uh, we just want to help you through this, man. Uh, I have been there. I've been in a tough season. Chris has. You can battle back. And we want to help you with that. It's time for what I'm thinking about. And before we get there, uh, I'm going to tell you a little bit about how we're changing it up next month. Starting in August, we're going to be in a brand new segment. Instead of what I'm thinking about, we're going to do Ask Me Anything About Productivity. I will take your coaching questions from you and answer them live on the show. So if you have productivity questions about like, I can't seem to get things done 
or how do I handle people who keep interrupting me? Or, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm working all the time, have no family time. What do I do? I have five kids. You know, whatever your question is about productivity, go to kerryneuhoff.com slash podcast. Click on the start recording button under the ask me anything about productivity uh, segment and uh, record a message there. I will start coaching you on this podcast starting in August. So excited to do that. Hey, make sure you check out Lead a Better Team. If you want to build a better team for the fall, you can get my course, Lead a Better Team, at leadabetterteam.com. And Belay wants to help you. They get a free resource called 13 Ways to Build a High-Performing Remote Team. Just text CAREY, C-A-R-E-Y, to 55123. Well, I want to talk to you a little bit about psychological safety today and some signs that may be you need to do some work. So uh, one sign that you need to do some work on psychological safety is that your workplace is political. I hear about this from so many people in business and even in church leadership. Um, And how do you know that things have gotten political in your organization? Well, maybe decisions rarely get made the way they're supposed to be made. In other words, they're supposed to be made in the meeting, but they happen in the meeting after the meeting. Or most decisions uh, happen outside of any agreed upon process. Um, you here's a sign things are political. You can't get a yes without offering something in return. You're always bartering between departments or you have to lobby to be heard. You don't really get heard. That's signs of a political organization. And you know what? It's not fun to work there. Another thing that is a sign that you have some work to do on psychological safety is that what gets said publicly is different from what happened privately. Uh, We do live in an age of spin, and often, you know, what gets said from the platform, what gets said on social media is not actually true, and that creates a real dissonance and a lack of integrity um, in your organization, and your team feels that. In the end, the product that you're selling, sharing, the mission that you're fulfilling should never be the opposite or even different from what actually happened. And so be really careful of the spin. I always think spin is close to sin. Don't spin it. When what gets said publicly is different from what happened privately, things get toxic. Okay, here's another one, and I'll leave it at this today. You deal with conflict by talking about people, not to people. This is a huge culture maker for us at our company, and uh, I've led the church that way. I'll lead my company this way. If somebody comes to me, and listen, if this is part of your culture, it'll never happen. I can't remember the last time it happens. But if somebody came to me with a complaint about, let's say, you know, Josh, okay, so they're mad at Josh. And I'm like, first question out of my mouth is, have you talked to Josh? And you know what? In an unhealthy culture, the answer is no. And I'm like, okay, well, you need to go talk to him. Like, you need to leave and go have that conversation. And if they say they can't, now it's different in the case of abuse or where they're not safe. But if they're just like, you know, complaining about Josh, Josh missed a deadline or Josh did this or Josh did that. Uh, you know what I would do? I would just say, no, you go talk to Josh. So one of two things is going to happen. Either number one, they're going to go talk to Josh and and deal with it directly, which is the way it's supposed to happen. Or number two, they're going to say, well, it's really not that important. Well, if it's really not that important, why are you coming to me to talk about that, right? So <laughs> we've got to be better at handling conflict. So those are some ways to create better safety at your workplace, a less toxic environment. Hope that helps. Amy Edmondson stuff is gold. Uh, and really grateful for you. Hey, if you haven't done it yet, head on over to kerryneuhoff.com slash podcast and leave me a voicemail, okay? I want to start coaching you on productivity. Ask me anything about productivity starting next month. Leave the voicemails there. My team and I will be working through those. Thanks so much for listening, and I hope our time together today has helped you lead like never before. 
You've been listening to the Carrie Newhoff Leadership Podcast. Join us next time for more insights on leadership, change, and personal growth to help you lead like never before.